Branch to all decks. Welcome aboard Enterprise Incidents with Scott and Steve. I'm Scott Nance, and I have to say, Steve Morris, that was an amazing intro you put together. Bravo to you. That was really awesome and exciting to watch. Well, thank you. Thank you. It was it was fun and challenging, and I'm glad that we're actually doing a live show where people can see our faces. We could see each other. It's very, very exciting. This is very exciting for everyone who's been following along, for all of our enterprisers who've been there with Enterprise Incidents since day one. First of all, thank you so much for being aboard Enterprise Incidents and joining us on this incredible journey through the original series. So yes, this is what Scott Nance looks like. <laughs> that what Steve, that's what Steve Morris looks like. So you can finally see our faces. If you're watching us on YouTube, of course, if you are listening to us on the variety of different podcast platforms, well, you could still hear our voices and it's business as usual. So, so what we wanted to do before we delve into the animated series, which is going to be a whole new thing for Enterprise Incidents. Yes. We to give the original series one last hurrah by, by counting down our favorite episodes of the original series. Now, Steve Morris. Yes. Uh, I know you and I are going to have some, some episodes on our list that are similar. And yes. Have some that are different. So how is this going to work? Well, I'll tell you, first of all, I want to say I've never tried to put together my actual top 10 list in order. It was really hard. It was really hard to do. And here's what we're going to do. The first thing we're going to do is that both of us have been listening to each other talk about our favorite Star Trek episodes for a couple of years, actually several years now, even before the show started. And so I think we maybe have a pretty good idea of what each other's guesses are. So we are going to start not with our own top 10 list, but we are going to start by trying to predict each other's top 10 list. Well, before we get, to get into that, I want to I want to just ask you a question, Steve Morris. You yes. said that this is the first time you ever actually put together your top 10 list together. So my question for you is like, what was that like for you? And more importantly, how do you think your list would have been different if we had not done Enterprise Incidents? Oh, that is an interesting question. Well, the thing about the... <coughs> Sorry, I am getting over COVID, so I have a little oh. bit of a cough left. Um, the thing about putting the list together was that the top three were easy. The top three I pretty much knew, and after you know five minutes, I put them in an order, and they pretty much stayed that way. The next seven were almost impossible because <laughs> there are like 20-ish at least episodes that I think are absolutely fantastic. And so they kept going in and out. And then literally 15 minutes before we jumped on here, I went, that can't be at number four. I had to move that down. I had to move that one up. No, wait, hold on, do this. It was really, really hard. Um, and, and, But actually, I don't think this list is substantially different from what it would have been before we did the show. I think the ones, my true loves of my favorite episodes, they've remained pretty constant. What about you? Well, you know, for me, it was interesting because over the course of these last 80 episodes of the original series, you know, I would always go onto the different Facebook groups, including our own Facebook page, Enterprise Incidents, and I would say the name of an episode and so many enterprisers would say, oh, that's number 17 on my list or that's number three on my list. So it sounds like a lot of enterprisers already have not just yeah. ranked their top 10, but ranked their 80 episodes, if you include the yeah. page. And I'm like, you know, 
in all my life since I first discovered Star Trek when I was when I was six years old in 1974, a member of the syndication generation, I never actually went through and ranked all 80 episodes. So that sounds like a really good idea to do. But what I will say to answer your question is that I do think that my list changed slightly from if I would have ranked it before we did Enterprise Incidents. The reason I say that is because there is an episode on my list that when we got to this episode, I said, oh my God, this is in my top three favorite episodes of all time. Mm. And then when I put this list together, it actually went down a few notches. It's still in mm. my top five, but it is not in my top three or my top, uh, <coughs> uh, or it's not in my top, uh, it's in my top 10, but not in my top five or my top three. Wow. But I do agree with you that I have so many honorable mentions Yeah, that you could take those honorable mentions that I have and put a whole new top 10 list together just based on those honorable mentions. And it would stand alongside my new list, my new top 10 list and be just as good because like you and I've talked about so many times, especially you, you've said that, here are these 80 episodes of Star Trek of the original series and the ratio of great episodes to not so great ones or just okay ones uh, is actually very, very strong and, and holds up after more than five decades. So I think that's what's most fascinating to me is that I had I had twice as many honorable mentions than on my on my actual top 10. And any one of those could have replaced the top 10. Yeah, it would have had a very, very, very strong list. Well, now I'm very curious about that number three. Um, right. Would you like to hear my predictions for the Scott Mance top 10? Oh, this is going to be really interesting. So you're going to predict what you think I have That's on right. my top 10. Oh, this is this now, is different. Now, the top one and two, you've said before. Now, so unless they've changed, I have a good sense that I know what those are. But here, here and I will explain my reasoning as I go. Okay. So at number 10, we have an episode which was your last favorite episode of the series, and that is All Our Yesterdays, one that I know that you love, that you really, really care about, in particular, the Spock and McCoy scenes, uh, I know are ones that you absolutely love. Steve, you are yeah. not only correct that All Our Yesterdays is in my top uh, top 10, but it is my number 10 episode. <laughs> Keep going. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, at number nine, I've picked one that I don't think would have been in your top 10 before we did our show. Or do you want to go back and forth? Do you want to give my number 10? Okay, what do you think I my think, number 10 okay, is? Great idea. Okay. So my prediction for your number 10, uh, just like you, okay. Your prediction for my number 10 was that I felt like it was the last truly great episode of the series. Yes. Now, I know that you have an episode that you consider your last favorite great episode of the series. And that puts my prediction for your number 10 as let that be your last battlefield. Scott, I got to tell you, it is not a bullseye, but that is one that went on and off the list. That is currently my number 11. Oh, oh, I was so close. But it could have so been close. it could have been number 10. It easily, easily could have been number 10. <laughs> well. So my number nine for you is one that I don't think would necessarily have made your list before we did the show, but you had such a huge emotional response to it that I speculate it might have gone on the list, and that is the empath. Okay, uh, just like you, when I got past number five, I really struggled 
yeah. what to include on these next five, six through 10. The Empath was one of those episodes because I think of, of any episode we covered here <coughs> on Enterprise Incidents, I definitely, that was the one that I, I really had a very visceral emotional reaction yeah. to where I remember you were like, are you okay? Do you want to stop? And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is great. Let's keep going. Honorable mention, not on my list. Ah, uh, gotcha. All right, okay. wh where do you think my number nine was? Number nine for you, okay, and and I could be wrong on the ranking, but this is an episode that you uh, I put on your top ten because I know you love it, but I put it on your top ten because it's an episode you've referenced many times in terms of the evolution of Spock, the evolution of the relationship between Kirk and Spock because of a crucial scene that happens in the briefing room when the stakes are high in the final act, and that is the naked time. Scott, let me tell you something. You and I know each other pretty damn well, I think, because my number nine episode is the naked time, sir! Yes! Yes! All right, this is, this is excellent. Okay, so, all right, number nine. I got your actual number nine at number nine. That is very, very impressive. Well, okay. let's keep going. All right, I, some of these... <laughs> <laughs> are definitely kind of, you know, guesses, but I chose as your number eight episode, an episode that is critical in the evolution of Spock, critical in the evolution of the relationships with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and that is a mock time. Unbelievable. I swear to God, you are on fire. You are amazing. Really? Not only is a mock time on my top 10 list, Steve Morris, it is number eight. Wow. What? Okay. What? Well, you know what, Steve? Listen, after these intense deep dives, these like yes. two or three hour conversations that we've had for almost two years, I would hope that you and I would kind of have a good good uh, judge of of our of uh, of the episodes that we were we were going with here. So yes, a mock time is my number eight. Okay, that's crazy. That is crazy. Okay, that's crazy. So my prediction for your number eight is an episode I have a little higher on my list. But mm. uh, sort of getting a feel for what you have on what I think you have on yours. This is an episode that I know we talked about really early on uh, when we were first starting all of this, that this is an episode that you always hailed as a great episode. One of your favorites, which is ironic because it is the second pilot of of Star Trek ever. And that is where no man has gone before. You're not going to believe this. What? That is my number eight. No, no. You're yes. kidding me. <laughs> no, that is my number eight. Oh, my God. So, this is awesome. So, so let me just say, we, Scott and I, right before we jumped on, in fact, one of the reasons we were a minute or two late was we were saying, well, how should we do this? Should we do our predictions at the end, at the beginning, back and forth? What are we going to do? And our assumption was that I think that we would get a lot of these wrong. Because okay. we would still have a top 10 list to reveal. And at this point, we're mostly accurate about each other's top 10, which is crazy. That's nuts. Um, I will say what my number seven is. This is an episode, again, of course, I know you. It's, it's redundant to say that I know you love it because, of course, you love it. And But it is also, I think, particularly for you, the archetypal Klingon episode. The episode that defines the Klingons more than any other and has one of your favorite guest stars, and that is Day of the Dove. My friend, you are right on the money to put that on my list. But I have Day of the Dove at number nine on the ah. Scott Pants best of the original series. But yes, 
Day of the Dove is on the list. And by the way, when we go through, you know, really do our countdown of our individual lists, we can get into a little more detail about why we love these. But your your assessment of my feeling about Day of the Dove is right on point, and I'll say more about why. But yes, I have Day of the Dove. It is number nine on my list. My prediction for your number seven is an episode that uh, I, I know you love. And I think when we talked about it, I actually pointed out that when it came to like the top tier episodes of the original series, like the great of the great, like, like an essential episode. And we had a great guest who joined us for this episode, mm. Steve Morris. I mean, a uh, uh, John Roca joined us for this episode who I know is your great friend and partner on the cinephiles. And John Roca is also the reason that you and I met, which makes yes. enterprise incidents possible. So if I haven't said this enough, I am indebted to John Roca in a very, very big way for even being here talking to you. But my prediction for your number seven is journey to Babel. Okay. That is the first one that is not on my, well, I is my second one is not on my list. That is number, my number 13 it kept coming up. It kept going out. It was almost at number 10 several times. Fantastic episode. Uh, uh, my prediction for your number six is one of the greatest guest stars to ever appear on Star Trek. A guest star so charismatic and powerful that he was a no-brainer to bring back for the movie, and that is Space Seed. Okay, this is where we miss the mark. You're, you're, oh. you're Here's why. Here's why. Yes, of course, I considered Space Seed for a top 10. And absolutely, is in, it is in the honorable mention. But when I went back and forth on Space Seed, and I'm really, really curious to hear what the Enterprisers say about, about my assessment of Space Seed, is that I love Space Seed. I think it's a great episode. And I agree with you completely that Ricardo Montalban is one of the standout guests that Star Trek ever had across more than 55 years, not just on the original series. <coughs> But the reason I didn't put Space Seed on my top 10, because I was thinking really hard about it. And Steve, and we talked about this on the actual podcast for Space Seed, is does Space Seed hold up this strong without the Wrath of Khan? Hmm. And I really that thought hard question. about that. And my my what I the ultimate conclusion I came to, at least for the purpose of this best of the original series list is that, yeah, it's a great episode, but if you take Wrath of Khan out of the equation, it's a really, really good episode with a great guest star. But like when I look at my top 10, I go, man, you know, I'm pretty, I feel pretty good about my top 10. So Space Seed did not land mm. on my list. But I have this episode as your number six. Space Seed? Yes. It's my number six. It's your number six. Okay, well, at least one of us had it on this list. <laughs> no, you are on the money. That's that's crazy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> Sorry about the coughing. This is the most I've had to talk in one, one sitting, so it's definitely a little bit harder. But So my number five on your list is an episode that you have referenced many, many times as being formative, particularly for the character of Spock and McCoy's, their relationships. It is an early on episode. It is one that I really love, and that is The Enemy Within. I, I, I almost put that on my list. In fact, I almost took off a mock time to mm. put The Enemy Within on my list because I was looking at a mock time going, boy, this is a really crucial episode in the, in the relationship between Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. 
But the enemy within is really the first episode that was crucial to the relationship of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. And I had that on my list, and it is it is my number one honorable mention, uh, mm. The Enemy Within. It's always been a favorite of mine, you know, especially because it's such a great Kirk episode, and Shatner is amazing in two performances as the as the good Kirk and the dark Kirk. Uh, but ultimately, I went with a mock time over The Enemy Within because it's just so much more like iconic. It was the first episode that that aired to launch the second season. You know, we went to Vulcan. We had Live Long and Prosper for the first time. You had that great music score, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh, so I left Enemy Within off my list, but it is a very, very, very strong honorable mention. All right. So that was your prediction for my number five, correct? Yes. Okay. My prediction for your number five was actually my number eight, and that is a mock time. That is, uh, it is on my list. It is not number eight, but we'll discuss it. It's a little bit higher on my list. So I say we'll discuss it when we do the full countdown. Okay. Um, uh, or actually I could say it was my number seven. So you're off by two. You're pretty, pretty damn okay. close. Okay. 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 Number seven. I'm that's still on your list. That's good. All right. So we're getting, we're now into our, into the, 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 the top the, tier the, stuff, buddy. Yeah. So this episode is tough. Tough to pick. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. Um, I should have brought some lozenges in here. Way. Everyone, for everyone, everyone watching and listening. So, so Steve Morris was was really lucky and and was had survived not getting COVID all this time. Yep. Unfortunately, you know, his number came up, but we are he is on the men, he's doing great. He is joining us now, and we are just glad that Steve, you are feeling much, much better. Oh yeah, I, I honestly I didn't get terribly sick. I it's it's really just this lingering cough that's been a problem. Um, but my number four prediction for you is the very first episode of Star Trek I heard you reference. I think because you talked about it way back when we did Wrath of Khan, and I think it has one of the most foundational elements in terms of philosophy of Star Trek, and that is Devil in the Dark. Oh man, see now. I feel like the admission, Steve, that this is not in my top 10 might be seen as sacrilege, hmm. given that it is so well regarded as one of the best episodes of the original series. But it just goes to show you how many, like you pointed out at the top of this conversation, how many great, great episodes of Star Trek actually existed, yep. enabling someone, you know, a diehard lifelonger like me to keep Devil in the Dark in my in my top tier of honorable mentions but it was not on my list um and this was an episode uh, okay here's why here's why uh devil in the dark did not make my list actually i'm going to hold that thought for, for <coughs> this conversation because i don't want to give i don't want to give something else away okay but i'm going to move on to your number 4 yes which is an episode that it is uh, – I feel like if there is an episode of the original series that's truly cinematic, an episode that you could put up on the big screen and it would actually work really, really well, it's an episode I know you love because I remember you texted me and said this is a great episode uh, when you did your rewatch of it, and that is The Doomsday Machine. That is my number four. 
I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm stunned. I'm stunned at the accuracy here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a fantastic episode. Obviously, we'll talk about it more, I guess, when we do our full top 10 list. Yep. What a strange conversation this is where we've gotten so many of each other's. My prediction for your number three, again, something you mentioned. Actually, this is the first episode of Star Trek you ever mentioned to me when we I met you, when we did Wrath of Khan, because it is not just the first episode of Star Trek you mentioned to me. It is the first episode of Star Trek you ever saw, and that is Mirror Mirror. Mirror Mirror Ding Ding is on my list. It is at number five. And wow. yes, the, that was the episode that lit my fuse, that fired my phasers, that beamed me up, that made me go boldly into this nearly lifelong journey throughout Star Trek. Yes, Mirror Mirror is just like, I think just like the Doomsday Machine. This is an episode that uh, I'll watch over and over and over and over and over again. I never, ever, ever get tired of it. It is so great, so iconic. One of the greatest Star Trek episodes ever made. So yes, Mirror Mirror is my number five. And I'm going to turn this back to you, Steve Morris, and say that your number three is, is Mirror Mirror. You're real close. It is definitely up in that very top. It is not my number three, but it's fantastic, obviously. Um, <clears throat> see, and now here's where I have the huge advantage because you have said multiple times what your top two Star Trek episodes are. So unless I'm incorrect, your number two is The Conscience of the King. Okay, ding, ding for having it on the list. But at the top of this conversation, I said there was an episode in my top uh -huh. three or top five that moved down a couple notches. And Conscience of the King is that episode. I was shocked, shocked and stunned, as the Ruddles would say, that the Conscience of the King would actually move down on my list. But when you look at the others that I have on my list, you go, OK, that's OK, because I, I don't think that most people have Conscience of the King on their top 10. But I do. And it still stayed there. It's my number seven. Uh, but not uh, in my top three anymore. But now we are we are at number two for you. And this is an episode that for sure is regarded as the Citizen Kane of Star Trek episodes. It is widely hailed as the single greatest Star Trek episode ever made over the course of its almost 57-year history. And that is a bold statement considering there are now about 900 episodes of Star Trek that exist. But your number two is The City on the Edge of Forever. It is right. I'll just say it is my number three and Mirror Mirror is my number two. But basically, you're right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which means, actually, I just realized that in my top ten list for you, I didn't have City on the Edge of Forever. My guess is it's probably on there. Oh, but sure. I but sure. I didn't write it down. That was foolish of me. Because uh, my number one for you is, of course, Metamorphosis. You said oh, many, many right. times it's your favorite episode. Um, it is a fantastic episode. So that is my pick for your number one. Uh, that should come a shock to absolutely no one who has been following along <laughs> Enterprise incidents all this time. Uh, I have made no secret of my love for, for Metamorphosis. Uh, subtlety, Steve, as you know, both... Uh, uh, doing Enterprise Incidents and just being great friends, subtlety is not my strong point. Uh, <laughs> my love for Metamorphosis knows no bounds. I'll explain more about why as we, you know, you know, go into the proper uh, countdown here. But yes, Metamorphosis is my number one. Photo novel number five. My number one pick for you is an episode that I have. I, as, I, uh, I know you're right. I already know that you're going to pick the right yeah, one. That's my guess. Now it's a terror. That is correct. That is my number one. All right. All right. Yeah. So clearly, 
uh, in the last two years, we have come to know each other pretty well. Yes, that is really amazing. I mean, some of our picks were right on the money or or close to the bullseye. And, and that says a lot just about how, how deep and intense and analytical and passionately we talked about this series and talked about it, Steve, in a way where I saw Star Trek in a whole new light. I know you did too. Mm -hmm. And I know so many of the Enterprisers who joined us along the way have commented how looking at the original series as a as a an evolutionary arc, as a serialized show instead of an episodic one, which was the way it was intended, and that it actually works. It actually makes sense to the point where you would swear the writers and producers actually had all of this in mind. That's just another strength of the show. So, Steve, let's talk more about your number 10. Why did you go with your number 10 as your number 10? Well, this is one that, strangely, it's so weird because normally when you tune in, you know, we have our good friend John Roca who has spent years doing a top 10 show. And normally the drama of a top 10 show is, what's going to be number one? What's going to, what's the order going to be? And it's like, well, we've already ruined a fair amount of that drama because we knew each other so well. But one episode we haven't ruined is in fact my number 10 because it hasn't been mentioned. And one of the things I was thinking about as I made my list was, yes, of course, we're trying to list the greatest Star Trek episodes. But I also was thinking about my favorite Star Trek episodes. And those two things aren't exactly the same. And one of the things I was thinking about is there is an episode that I would watch regularly just because I love it so damn much. And it is the only comedy episode that is on my list. And that is a piece of the action. Piece of the I love it. Piece of the action over Trouble with Tribbles. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've never I've never loved Trouble with Tribbles as much as everybody else. Yes, it's a great episode. I would watch Piece of the Action five times more often than Trouble with Tribbles. I, I love you. piece of the action. I, I, I agree with you completely. When push comes to shove and you look at the true the true comedic episodes of Star mm -hmm. Trek, Trouble Tribbles, uh, a, a piece of the action, and a, I mud, and I would even say that Tomorrow's Yesterday can be sort of deemed as a comedic episode. Maybe mm -hmm. even maybe even the Squire of Gothos because of, of William Campbell's amazing mm -hmm. performance. But if you held the gun to my head and said, or you held the phaser to my head and said, what is your favorite comedic episode of Star Trek? I would absolutely pick a piece of the action over the Trouble Tribbles. And not because I don't like the Trouble Tribbles. I do. I just think it's like one of those episodes that's been talked about so much and so many times. And while it's deserving of all those accolades, I feel like maybe a piece of the action doesn't get as much as much uh, appreciation as it deserves uh, Gene Kuhn, who had already left the show at that point, you know, he just sort of like gave Star Trek a gift by writing this, uh, this comedic episode and playing to his strengths. So yes, I agree. Uh, that's a great pick for your number 10. Um, and what is, what is your number 10? My number 10, as you predicted right on the money is our yesterday's. And this is an episode that I had a much deeper fondness for leading up to our deep dive and certainly after our deep dive, not just because uh, it, I really feel like it is the last great episode of the original series. And they, they really almost went out on the highest of notes with this one. But so much about the relationship between Kirk and Spock really came to a boil in our yesterdays. I mean, you would, again, you would swear that the writers knew that this was going to be the end. And they're like, you know, we got to bring this relationship out on a really, really high note. And so much of that conflicting drama that went on 
after Spock and McCoy went to the past of Sarpiden and uh, the, the drama with the, with Zarabeth, um, you know, that moment when Spock goes to strangle McCoy and he says, are you trying to kill me, Spock? But also, and this was something that came out of our conversation, Steve, when they went back through the time portal and Kirk is trying to get in touch with the Enterprise so they can get out of there before the star goes Nova. And Spock looks at McCoy and says, you don't have to look at me that way. Uh, she's dead and gone. Like you could hear in his voice, you could hear in Spock's voice, he's almost saying for the second time in my life, I was happy, which yeah. is, of course, a bookend to this side of paradise. And that is what put this episode on my number 10, your number nine. Which is can I can I say something about that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I want to get to naked time, of course. But I was just thinking, and and this is the kind of thing that might get me in trouble. And I haven't thought this thought through at all. But I, I'm just going to put it out there and say it. Which is, I I think one of the things that makes great episodes of Star Trek great, and that is different from Star Wars. And I'm not trying to start a <laughs> Star Wars versus Star Trek thing. I love Star Wars. I've, I've I'm a big fan of Star Wars. They're very different. But one of the big differences that occurs to me as you were talking about those incredible scenes with Spock and McCoy, is that the great episodes of Star Trek are ones where the actors get to shine, and really show how good they are in terms of their characters and their understand, It's really about character moments. And if you think whether, you know, as you mentioned, This Side of Paradise or City on the Edge of Forever, or all those ones, yes, they have great science fiction ideas and all this interesting stuff going on or good action, but it's really about the actors' performances. And I don't think that's true of Star Wars in the same way. Not that I don't love Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill and Alec Guinness and all of the, lots and lots of great actors have appeared in Star Wars, but it isn't exactly the same thing in terms of, the characters and the actors shining in those roles. Do you know what I mean? I, I, absolutely. Look, I, I love Star Wars. I mean, of course, I'm right up there. And, you know, I'm an, I'm an OG Star Wars fan from when I saw the original film in 77. Uh, and, I mean, you know, the the original trilogy was just such a landmark thing. But, but I feel like Star Trek and Star Wars, it's like the Beatles and the Stones. You can love both. They are both very different. You know, Star Trek is science fiction. Star Wars is fantasy, star, science right. fantasy. Star Trek is about us and our potential and our future, okay? And Star Wars is in a galaxy far, far away. You could love them both. They both are great characters. But, and, and again, this is another thing that just makes me go, wow, Steve, you are so right on point. The way that the, these actors, they knew their characters and the best moments of Star Trek are when those characters shine. And that is a beautiful way to really sum up why the original series holds up after all of this time. Speaking of time, the naked time is your number nine. So we talked about <coughs> we talked about the emotional response you had to the empath. The biggest emotional response I had in the entire time of us doing this podcast was actually to that scene in the briefing room in the naked time. Mm. It was it was Spock saying, when I think of you as a friend, I feel ashamed. You know, like that's that that was so moving to me when I was working on it for the show. Like I burst into tears watching it. And I remember when we did the show, like I had a hard time saying those words because they're so profound. And there's just such deep, deep pain there for Spock. And his performance in that scene is incredible. And then when you get to the 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 sacrifices that Shatner, that Shatner, that Kirk has made in terms of being captain of the ship and how those inform everything else that happens after. Like that basic idea of duty over your personal life 
is so fundamental to Star Trek. So yeah, that 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 had to be on my top ten. And yeah, the other thing about the Naked Time that makes it so great is is how there are so many tonal shifts in the actual course of the fifty minutes. You know, the first act is you know very very straightforward Star Trek. Yeah, the fun and playful, and then by the last act, the stakes are very high. This is not this is not a game anymore. Like like we're in very very serious trouble, and you really feel you really feel the Enterprise literally teetering teetering on the edge of destruction uh, as the people within it are are going through their own personal destructions. It's a marvelous episode written by John D. F. Black. My number nine, Day of the Dove, which uh, you you correctly predicted on my list, is. The only other third season episode on my top 10. And I really wanted to be sure to give the third season some love on my on my best of list. Because, Steve, another thing that was a really, really big revelation to me throughout our conversations is how strong the third season actually is. It's not yeah. the disaster that sort of mythology had sort of made it out to be, you know, when the like, legend becomes fact, print the legend and the legend was printed that the third season was bad. Well, you know, we proved that the third season is really, really good, especially the first half of it. And right. day of the dove is one of those episodes. It's a taut, tense, well-acted, <laughs> exciting action packed episode with a message, with a message that was very apropos for 1968. Uh, Stop the war now or spend forever in futile, bloody violence. And Michael and Sarah, as you predicted, uh, as you pointed out, is one of my favorite guest stars. As much as I love John Colicos as, as a core, I feel like Michael and Sarah. And for everyone watching along with us, so all our usual friends, uh, Michael Shires, uh, Mike Bamono, uh, you know, Sergio, uh, Sub Commander Tal, I see you all in the comments section here. Uh, I, I know you will agree with me that when it comes to the quintessential Klingon, the Klingon that paved the way for the way the Klingons will be depicted in the next generation and beyond, Michael and Sarah's performance as Kang is that Klingon. And that is why one of the reasons why Day of the Dove is my number nine. But by the way, speaking of our comment section, because uh, of course we're both looking at all these comments and this one cracked me up. Let's see if I can hit the button right. <laughs> Oh, nope. I hit the wrong one. That was not the one I meant. Uh, oh, and I hit another wrong one. Things keep moving on me. This is the one that cracked me up. No, it's not. Damn it. All right. Clearly, I failed in my job running this show. This is, <laughs> this, this is, why, this is why John is better. at This is only the second time I've run a live show. There was someone that posted that Day of the Dove was a real backslapper. There it is. But if I hit it, will it show up? There we go. That was the one that <laughs> I thought go. was funny. <laughs> Sorry, it took me three times to make that or four times to make that happen. Um, and by the way, for those of you who are watching, it looks like almost 100 people are watching right now. Uh, if you haven't hit the like button already, please do it. If you're not subscribed to the show, we would really appreciate uh, you subscribing. Um, uh, I, I really is a lot of fun to actually be doing this live where we can kind of see your reactions as we're going. Yeah, this is um, great. Thank you, everyone, who's been joining us live. Uh, uh, this is really, really fun. As you accurately predicted, my number eight is where no man has gone before. I think it is amazing how damn good that pilot is. Mm, amazing. I, I, I mean, yes, there's the, Spock is not quite who he's supposed to be, and the makeup is a little weird, and they're still going to make some changes to the costumes. But Kirk is there, fully formed. 
And the the mix of real intense drama. I mean, essentially, it's the decision to kill your best friend and real action. And we get to have that Kirk speech, which is so, again, fundamental to who the character is and fundamental to this is going to be a show that's going to combine action and real drama with ideas. It's absolutely fantastic. You know, the thing about, and by the way, one of the reasons I knew that you would put where no man has gone before in your list, Steve, is because this is also an episode that we've referenced many times. You referenced, especially, especially when we were doing the first season of the show on, on our podcast, because of the friendship, the rivalry, the competitiveness between Jim Kirk and, and uh, uh, Gary Mitchell, uh, because that comment, a stack of books with legs, uh, really, really resonated much, much deeper than I ever thought a throwaway, a throwaway yeah. comment like that would do. So, and by the way, I just want to give a shout out to William Foster, who is joining us live here. William Foster works for Mission Control in Houston. And oh, he wow. was part of the Artemis uh, that went around the moon. So Bill Foster, thank you, A, for joining us live, B, for your support of Enterprise Incidents. And and William Foster, I got to tell you, while he was he was going to work, to work on Artemis, he he sent me a direct message and said, yeah, I'm going to work and I'm listening to your, your deep dive of all our yesterdays. And I'm thinking, wow, here's a real Star Trekker listening to Enterprise Incidents. That's pretty cool. That is really thing, cool. Steve, and we talked about this before, and it's something I've always felt. I actually love how sort of rough around the edges where no man has gone before is because, you know, this is the first like Star Trek episode with Kirk. Um, but it's amazing how much they got right. It's amazing yeah. how much they got right about Star Trek. But no matter what, like you pointed out, Nimoy didn't quite get Spock down just yet. The makeup was different. The uniforms were different. Um, but from act one, scene one, William Shatner had James Kirk down proving that jim kirk was the role he was born to play and that is also why i have uh, where no man has gone before my list i will i will when i get to that point i'll just mention it and then move on since we've already talked about it but uh well and can i just say that uh your point is echoed by actually spock is paying attention to our podcast or to our <laughs> live show who says where no man is a classic with a friendship scene right off with the opening scene playing chess <clears throat> and also I wanted to say in regards to Day of the Dove, Maria Torres, who's been a longtime supporter of the Cinephiles and a supporter of Enterprise Incidents, uh, she says, by the way, the ending of Day of the Dove has a parallel, parallel in the first volume of a book series I read long ago in Far Away, Lord Foulsbane. Maria, I can remember that book, too. I read the same thing uh, long ago in Far Away, so I wanted to bring that up. All right, so what's next? Next, next is my number eight, which is a mock time. And a mock time uh, took the place uh, which which I had before, which was the enemy within. But again, you know, a mock time. Look, uh, I feel like if there was any season that got that got its premiere episode right, it was season two, because season one started off with the man trap, which is not a great episode, not the episode that like said what Star Trek is all about. But like Corbomite Maneuver wasn't ready because of the special effects, and that was the one. And and where no man has gone before was not a, you know, the way the show turned out to be. So they went with the man trap. And of course, season three opened with Spock's brain, which is was a really, really bad idea. 
But season two, they got it just right because after all the loyal fans who discovered Star Trek in season one, they were rewarded with the season two opener of a mock time, which not only was a Spock episode, who was a very popular and even eclipsing Captain Kirk, but you got to go to Vulcan, you got to see Spock's wife, you got to see the Vulcan salute and live long and prosper. And the music is so iconic, but of course it is, it is the sacrifice that Kirk makes to get his friend to Vulcan and, and ultimately the irony that he is to fight him, to save him with that great music. <coughs> it is, if you, it, it is a Star Trek classic for true Star Trek fans. A mock time is my number eight. And it is my number seven. And I agree, of course, with everything you said. In particular, I think, <coughs> you know, we've talked about the building of the friendship between the three leads and how that starts. We see the beginnings of it in Enemy Within. And then we see, obviously, the relationship with Kirk and Spock and Naked Time and growing throughout. But the moments where Kirk says, he's my friend. And then the moment where spock invites mccoy to his wedding as basically saying you're my friend despite the fact that they've been fighting through the entire series and then of course spock's reaction to discovering that kirk is alive that huge emotional oh, yeah. outpouring is one of the great great moments in all of star trek let me ask you a question let me ask you a question i never realized this i never thought to ask you this when we did the deep dive but before a mock time was filmed, you know, going in production or like we've been doing, had Kirk or Spock ever referred to each other as my friend? I think you did bring this up in our deep dive. I, I'd have to listen to it again. But no, I, <laughs> I don't think so. Not in that way. <clears throat> yeah, it um, really is like 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 when, when McCoy says you, you can't disregard Starfleet orders. And Kirk says, I can't let Spock die can i and he goes he's my friend you know he yeah. saved my life a hundred times over isn't that worth a career so uh john kirk says i don't think so um so uh, in terms of like referring to each other as my friend but yeah that's another subtle uh way in which the the friendship just continued to evolve so so you had uh, a mock time as your number seven Yes. My number seven was the episode that moved down from, from higher on the list, uh, and that is The Conscience of the King. So between your list, Steve, and my list, there are episodes that are on both lists. There are episodes that are on every single list that everyone ever has when they rank their top, their top episodes, right? But then there are episodes that are personal favorites that resonate to you in a way that maybe they didn't resonate to other people. And I think that's what makes each list different. And I think that's what makes each list special. So for everyone following along with us, you know, we all have our lists. And, and when we're done with this, I definitely would love to see your list by when you post it on our Facebook page. But Conscience of the King is my sort of like personal fave. And I say that because like another episode on this list, it's an episode I had to grow into. When I first saw Conscience of the King as a sort of younger, even into my teen, teenage years as a, as a Star Trek fan, it was an episode I thought was fine. I thought it was a little slow, not a lot of action. But then as I got older, I really started to see the episode in a new light. And I just think the brilliance that Conscience of the King is about Shakespeare, but ultimately it is Shakespeare because of the way 
that Kirk is Hamlet in this episode. And the play is the thing where he catches the conscience of the king. And, you know, uh, the actor who played, uh, uh, you know, Kodos or, you know, Caridian, uh, Arnold Moss or Stuart Moss, I always get it, get the name wrong. But, you know, the scene in, in his quarters where they're going mm-hmm. sort of back and forth is just top tier acting and writing. And Barbara Anderson, uh, one of the great female performances on Star Trek because she starts off the episode really lovely and then she is a woman, a woman scorned and then she just goes off her rocker you know the light in her eyes when uh it's it's not Stuart Moss it is Arnold Moss thank you Roger and thank you Stephen and thank you Lee for pointing that out <laughs> Arnold Moss uh this is the beauty of the live episode to be corrected yeah. on the spot those are true enterprisers but yes conscience of the king is a and I love the score. The score by Mullendore, the only score he ever did. The score from Mullendore is is just uh, fantastic. So there's my number seven. What is your number six, Mister? Well, um, <clears throat> my number six is one that we talked about, and I think you predicted. I think I don't remember if you nailed this one, but it is Space Seed. Space Seed, um, yes. I and and really, it's it's all about Maltabon. I mean, it's just the the charisma coming off him is so powerful. Just with him, you know, the way he looks at a character, the you could see the thoughts in his brain, just and the battle of wills between him and Kirk and the, the way the script is put together. Do I think it's a perfect episode? No, <laughs> but I really, really, truly love it. Yes, uh, uh yes, Spacey. I mean, again, it is like so hard to not put this on my top 10, like to. Like, what are you on out of your Vulcan mind putting Space Seed as an honorable mention? But yeah, that's the case. Uh, it's my tough. number six, my number six uh, uh, was the episode you had at your number eight is where no man has gone before. Uh, we talked through all that, but yes, where no man has gone before is my number six. Steve, what is your number five? Well, this is one that hasn't come up at all. And I actually want to pair this with a question that was asked by a great books guy who says, Scott and Steve, favorite guest appearance or interview during the podcast, just let's listen to the Shatner interview, which was another wonderful addition to the show. Well, my answer for my favorite guest, and we've had fantastic guests, basically all of them are people that Scott brought in. So that is all Scott, with the exception of John Roca, who <laughs> I know. Everyone else has been someone Scott brought in. But frankly, there is no comparison to our most frequent guest, and that is director Ralph Sinensky. Having oh. him on the show... I, I, it is, that is the thing that made doing this show beyond anything I could have imagined for me. I agree. You know, I knew I you agree. and I would have great conversations. I knew that we had lots to say about Star Trek. The fact that this guy came along and asked to come on the show and at 98 and 99 years old, his memory is way better than mine <laughs> and wanted, <clears throat> I mean, I think our first conversation with him unedited was three and a half hours. I mean, it, it was astounding having him on the show. Uh, I agree 100,000% to be joined by the great Ralph Sinensky, who was a legend uh, for his for all of his work, more than 200 hours of episodic television, uh, way, way beyond Star Trek. But to be joined that very first time by Ralph Sinensky for This Side of Paradise was was such a thrill was such an honor it was so great to talk with a director of of an episode of one of my favorite of literally my favorite show of all time and 
I thought, okay, well, well, we got him, and then that was a great conversation. But when I reached around to him and and asked him for for his second episode that he directed, which of course is my favorite and his favorite as well, and his response was, "I thought you'd never ask." So to be joined by Ralph Sinensky for each of the episodes that he directed, and his generosity, his time, his his experience, his stories. And most of all, his trust and his friendship. If there is any one thing, in addition to becoming great friends with you, Steve, if there's any one thing that I value above all else on Enterprise Incidents is to be able to do something that, that, that I don't think anyone's ever done before, and that's to do a deep dive with a director on each one of his episodes. So, Ralph, if you are listening, we love you. We thank you. We are so grateful. Everyone watching and listening, especially on this live feed, loves you. We are so grateful. Thank you so much, Ralph. It, it was such it was such a pleasure. And not only it, it wasn't just like we had a great guest. It's that he understood what we were trying to do with the show. Is that he wanted to participate in this crazy moment by moment, shot by shot, deep dive. That's what he wanted to. He got it. That was what was so cool about it. Um and. <laughs> of course, as some other people brought up, of course, we've had other great guests like Walter Koenig, like Adam Nimoy. Um, we had uh, all sorts of people whose names are flying out. Judy Burns was fantastic. Of course, our good friend John Roca. Lots and lots of good guests. But the reason that I wanted to bring up Ralph here is that the episode that is at my number five spot is one we haven't even mentioned yet. And that is This Side of Paradise. I'm so glad you have it on your list. It's, you know... And it's particularly that last moment for the first time in my life, I was happy. I mean, and, and again, it goes to this point I made earlier, which is give Leonard Nimoy an opportunity to show us what a great actor he is. Give him an opportunity to, because, and this is again, and again, I'm not trying to insult Star Wars. That's not what I mean at all. But you don't ask Luke Skywalker to do that, really. You know what I mean? Like, they don't yeah. have to play really different things, whereas the Star Trek guys do. And Nimoy hanging from that tree, Nimoy being romantic, Nimoy, you know, getting angry when Kirk calls him on to the Enterprise. And of course, parallel to that is great performance from Shatner. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and because he has to do this thing, which really is supported by Ralph Sinensky and Jerry Finnerman, where he has to go through this whole emotional transition all by himself and make it all make sense. It's a great episode. Uh, just to, to cap, uh, to build on that analysis, Steve. The scene in the transporter room between Shatner and Nimoy is excellent. The way you see Nimoy really start to, he's holding on to his cool and then he, and then he loses it. And you just see that Shatner deliberately, I mean, they both play the, that scene perfectly. They play it perfectly, but also the scene on the bridge when Kirk is alone yeah, and he does his captain's log and he and he's it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. And he's he's it's a pitch perfect performance where where Kirk says, I'm beginning to realize how big the ship really is and how quiet. How do you counteract paradise? And then he just like, you know, puts his hand over his face and he's just contemplating. And then the plant just kind of like leans into the frame and shoots up. And then the camera zooms in the light, the light on the stage brightens up a little bit. Kurt Shatner turns to the camera yeah. with that that angel with that smile, that blissful smile. He gets it. I mean, it's 
and, and also the way the episode was shot on location, it just felt so open. The way the episode was an allegory for the, you know, the uh, the hippie movement and, you know, turn on, tune in and drop out, you know, which was always it's done in such a subtle way. I didn't get it. I am so glad you have the side of paradise on your list because it deserves to be. Uh, it is a it is a beautiful, beautiful episode. Number five on my list is is the episode that started it all for me. I've told the story of of, of my first moment before back in the Mirror Mirror actual podcast. So I won't do it again here. But Mirror Mirror, I mean, come on, like what what a great idea! It was a great idea. Such a great idea. This Mirror Universe and the you know the the way that the costumes were different and the Jerry Finnerman's lighting was different to make the Enterprise look darker. You know, the music is amazing. And, you know, again, the pace of the episode and Barbara Luna uh, as Marlena Moreau is just such a, wow, unbelievable. And, and her chemistry with Shatner in the, in the scenes in his quarters and just that great speech in every revolution. There's one man with a vision. And that's Kirk. That's, you know, if you look at Kirk's speech to Spock in Mirror Mirror, and you look at Kirk's speech to Daner, Dr. Elizabeth Daner at the end of where no man has gone before, where he's trying to reason with her, say, you know, if all else a God needs compassion, oh, what's your prognosis, doctor? And here's Kirk telling Spock, you know, uh, doesn't logic demand that you be a part uh, of this change? And it's, it, you know, that's another way in which, in which Shatner really had Kirk down. But Mirror Mirror is awesome. Mirror Mirror is, it's my number two. I mean, like, I, I can't, possibly say <clears throat> enough good things about it what what i really discovered as we were doing our episode and again sorry about my voice but is that i think it's the tightest episode yeah top yeah. to bottom in terms of the script and most importantly it's the tightest mo <clears throat> most ensemble episode it's the episode where uhura gets the sign sulu gets the shine Chekhov gets the shine Scotty has that great moment where he says Jim. I think it's the only time he calls him Jim in the whole That's show. Right. McCoy yep. gets to make the choice of to say, save Spock's life, possibly sacrificing, meaning he's going to be trapped in this universe. That there's, you know, Kirk has a romantic situation. And of course, Spock, bearded Spock is the best. And to be able to do all of that in a 50-minute episode of television is absolutely amazing. It is awesome. just so well done. It's also unheard of that, you know, if, if they were going to do Mirror Mirror today, it'd be like a five-part episode, but they did yeah. it in one. They did it in one. Uh, yep. Yeah, I, I, you know, I agree with you. I mean, Mirror Mirror is just the bee's knees. Uh, um, uh, number four on my list, the Doomsday Machine. The Doomsday Machine, you know, like, I, I think if there's any episode that I watch more than any other, it is the Doomsday Machine. Like, I just put it on and it's just, you know, I just... I just go with it. It's it's a great, great ride. I think in terms of pacing, it is the tightest and the tautest episode of Star Trek. The 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 final moments, you know, where Kirk is on the constellation about to get eaten up by the planet killer and the countdown and the the music. Uh uh, you know, uh, uh, Saul Kaplan's score is just absolutely fantastic and definitely, I think, influenced uh, John Williams for for Jaws. But then, of course, another great guest star, one yeah. of the greats, I would say maybe even better than Ricardo Montalban is William Wyndham as Co uh, Commodore uh, Decker and the, the uh, uh, battle uh, power struggle between Decker and Spock. Uh, it's just as good as it gets for Star Trek. If you want action and adventure, this is the one. 
Doomsday Machine <coughs> is my number four as well. I mean, it's it's an absolutely fantastic episode, and I think it is the best in terms of a build to a climax. In terms of a build to a climax, all the tensions coming together to beam Kirk off the is it the constellation. Yes, constellation. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, by the way, I should say we had this question come up a while ago, uh, which is from JMB. Could there be a Star Trek trivia contest of Steve versus Scott versus Roca? I will make no comment on who wins in a battle between Mance and Roca. Those battles have been epic and chronicled elsewhere. Oh, but I will definitely yes, say <laughs> the loser, the loser would be me. That goes without saying. I would lose that contest. Yeah, um, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, and and the and the fact that I struggled to come up. I don't remember all the guest star names. Scott still remembers all of them. I would have to look them up. Like I would definitely lose the contest. But back to Doomsday Machine. That not only I think that climax is the best in all of Star Trek. I think the idea of everything coming together for the climactic moment of an action story. I, I, in a weird way, I think Doomsday Machine invents that to some degree. And in particular, I would reference something that I think has been actually a plague on a lot of movies, which is the climactic moment of Jaws, which is one of the greatest of all time, is that everything building to a single moment. And I think I bet money that Steven Spielberg was a Star Trek fan and, and liked the end of Doomsday Machine. Here's why I think Steven Spielberg was a Star Trek fan. So if you're watching Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and Steve, I might have pointed this out when you had I me think on. You did. Cinephile I know what you're going to say. Yeah, uh, with you and John to talk about the Close Encounters of the Third Kind. When Roy Neary, uh, Richard Dreyfus, wakes up at the dining room table uh, uh, in his home after he's had the vision, and uh, he sort of comes to his senses and he's telling Ronnie, "Ronnie, don't worry, I'm going to be fine. Everything's okay." He starts taking down all the news clippings of the UFOs, and for a split second. Above the dining room table, you see a model of the Enterprise and of the uh, of the Klingon uh, the Klingon warship. It's very right. very quick, but it's there, and that is why, <laughs> of all the things, that's why I think Spielberg was actually a Star Trek fan. So, what's your next one? My next one, my number three <laughs> episode. Yes, you as you uh, uh, we we talked about. It's an episode that everyone regards as number one when you're talking about the quintessential Star Trek list is, of course, The City on the Edge of Forever. It is the Citizen Kane of Star Trek episodes, you know, written by Harlan Ellison with an assist by all of the, the uh, essential creative geniuses of Star Trek, including Roddenberry, Gene Kuhn, and Bob Justman, and Dorothy Fontana. You know, uh, I think maybe even Stephen Carabazos took a crack at it. But it is an episode that has it all. Uh, of course, you know, an epic story, an epic romance and great casting with Joan Collins as Edith Keeler because her chemistry with Shatner is was essential to making that episode believable that he would have such a such a big struggle uh, letting her die in order to restore the future. Um, but uh, the the whole idea of the Guardian of Forever, uh, it, it is, it's like if you were going to have like a sort of time capsule of maybe 20 of the greatest television episodes ever produced during the 20th century. Okay. And I'm talking about all of television sitting on the edge of forever should be in that time capsule. That's how good it is. It's so interesting to me that both you and I have it at number three. 
Yeah. And and I agree completely with everything you said. And I think it, you know, it's the difference between greatest and favorite, I think, is that <clears throat> you know, we talk about Citizen Kane being the greatest film ever made and what that means exactly is a complicated thing. I would say even though in all these lists it frequently comes up at number 1, I doubt it comes up as number one on many people's favorites lists. You know, like people don't, there, uh, John Roca, by the way, will put it on, on top of his favorite list, but most people don't go, ah, I'm going to watch Citizen Kane for the 700th time. That's not usually something that people talk about. I think City on the Edge of Forever stands alone in this really interesting way. It's very different from a lot of other Star Trek. You know, two thirds of it takes place in the past. And, but the the emotional wallop and the, the, the power of the dilemma that Kirk faces. What if the only way to save the future is to let the woman I love die? That is just huge and packs this amazing emotional wallop. And I'm going to point it out again. <laughs> we, we've said it. I said it when we did the episode. We talked about the comedic episodes of Star Trek. Sitting on the Edge of Forever is genuinely funny yeah. multiple times. And I think in particular, it solidifies the Kirk-Spock relationship of like, as these are really good friends. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Mm -hmm. And how they work together. It's obviously one of the great episodes, not just of Star Trek, but of television, period. You know, there's that there's that scene uh, in City when Spock fixes the tricorder and he's able to like ascertain, yes, Edith Keeler is the focal point yeah. of what caused the time change. And they're watching the alternate future on Spock's tricorder. And Spock makes the comment, he goes... Uh, with the with the uh, with the the bomb and the V two rockets to carry them, Germany captured the world. And Kirk just like whispers, "No, like like he can't believe that one moment, this butterfly effect, the true, the true uh, example uh, of the butterfly effect in action, that this one little moment of this woman living could just drastically alter the future in such a way. And of course, of course that moment when Kirk holds McCoy back from saving Edith, yeah. and he gets hit by the car and McCoy just, do you know what you just did? And Shatner plays it perfectly. He just like pushes McCoy away, doesn't even look at him. And he goes to leans against the wall. And, and, you know, you could see his, he's, he clenches his fist and bites his finger and Spock just goes, he knows doctor, he knows. And of course, you know, let's, let's get the hell out of here. It's what, what perfection, what perfection. And sub commander Tao, who was uh, not only a character in the enterprise incident, but he is one of our enterprisers, loyal enterprisers made a great comment. He goes, the city on the edge of forever is one of the few times that having so many writers come in and take a crack at a story actually improved it immensely. So yes, Subcommander Tal, we completely agree with you and give our regards to the Romulan commander. <laughs> um, uh, one thing, one other thing that just occurred to me about City, one of the big discoveries in doing the show with you, Scott, has been that part of the strength of Star Trek, which I never understood before, was in its contradictions, is that it doesn't just say here's the moral and this is what's right and the good guys win. It continually says, well, here's the moral for this episode, but actually it's going to be the opposite in some other episode. In Sitting on the Edge of Forever, that is contained in one episode, which is she was right, but at the wrong time. Absolutely. Is that, is that that contradiction of, yes, we do believe in peace. Yes, we do believe in everything Edith Keeler says. And if Edith Keeler lives and that philosophy is 
followed, we all die. Like that contradiction is so powerful because Star Trek, when it's really good, doesn't actually let you off easy. Star Trek gives you food for thought and go, oh, wow, the, the world is complicated rather than here's a bunch of simple solutions. Talk about food for thought. Here I <laughs> thought that we, we, you and I have sort of repurposed Star Trek in every possible way, even to the point of making us see it in a different way. But you're pointing out that line. And again, I, I wouldn't call it a throwaway line, but it's not a line that's like emphasized. But when Spock goes, she was right, but at the wrong time. I never really truly thought about the contradiction of that one single comment about that, how that just lays, that speaks for the entire episode itself and you're right she was right but at the wrong time how could someone be right but at the wrong time that makes absolutely no sense but in the case <clears throat> of sitting on the edge of forever it makes all the sense in the galaxy all right so my number two we've already talked about which is mirror mirror what is your number two my number two is your number one it is balance of terror and i thought about this uh you know, I, I sort of knew what I was going to do for number one. And I thought, oh, well, I guess that makes City on the Edge of Forever my number two. But see, this is where doing our deep dive for the whole series made me go, wait just a minute, not so fast. And I thought a lot about the conversation that you and I had on Balance of Terror. I thought about your reasoning for why you think that this is, in your opinion, a better episode personally for you than sitting on the edge of forever. And I agree with everything you said. I mean, I vividly remember so much about that conversation. That was a great, great conversation. Uh, uh, I definitely would recommend if you have not heard our deep dive on balance of terror, it was one of our very best, but it is just what, I mean, first of all, there's the great uh, drama with styles because of his uh, bigotry towards Spock. Uh, there's the great parallel, the respect you know, they never saw each other face to face until the end. But there's this respect that Kirk and the Romeo and Commander have for each other. And they're able to ascertain what they're going to do. And I'm not going to make that same mistake again. And just also Shatner's performance in Balance of Terror was very right on point. You know, he didn't he didn't dial it up, you know, a little much. Sometimes he was very, I would say, dialed back in all the right ways. And the bookend of that episode where you start in the chapel and at the end of the episode, the chapel becomes a morgue. Uh, it is another episode like the Doomsday Machine, where if I just want to just sort of like put on a Star Trek episode to chill out and just have it on and just, yeah, this is this is what I love about this show. Balance of Terror is another one of those episodes. I, it's funny. We're, we're doing a live show, so I can't beep this out. But I believe when I rewatched it, and you know, you always have the thing, if you haven't watched something in a while, like, is this really as good as I think that it is? And of course it was. And I believe that I texted you right when I finished it. That is one fucking great episode of television. <laughs> because yeah, it, is. it is so it is so good, top to bottom. The bookends, as you mentioned, are so powerful. Kirk is... You know, we talk about Kirk being our hero. And for me, definitely, Kirk is one of the great models of leadership. And there's no episode, I think, that better exemplifies that in Balance of Terror. And having to do, to deliver that news 
to in in what you call the morgue at the end like that's yeah. part of the leadership you know there'll be no bigotry you know leave your bigotry in your quarters there's no room for it on the bridge that's part of his leadership you see the calculating kirk who's continuing to come up with the ideas you're reckoning with this potential of starting a world war because this is right in the middle of the cold war and of course the fun one of the foundational star trek ideas is the enemy is actually just someone we don't understand is that the fact that the Romulan commander and Captain Kirk in another reality, I could have called you friend. I mean, that what is... A, what a great line. What a great moment. Oh, my God. And also, of course, you have to you have to mention uh, a scene that must have been inspired, or at least in part by, by Roddenberry when he did his rewrite of Balance of Terror by the scene between Captain Pike and Dr. Boyce. Mm in the cage, the scene in Kirk's quarters when uh, Kirk is feeling the burden of command. We are seeing the burden weigh heavily on him. What if I make the wrong decision? And then just as he's about to walk out the door, he says, I don't expect an answer. And that great, great line from Dr. McCoy, he goes, I, I've got one. He goes, something I heard them say to a customer. What exactly was he referring to when he said, Something I heard them say to a customer. I believe he says, actually, I think the line is something I seldom say to a customer is, is that he's talking about to someone who's sick, someone who's a patient of his. He doesn't say this to them. Oh, um, I see. I see. I see. But this is such a great line when he goes, uh, don't destroy the one named Kirk. Like, is there ever been a better moment between Kirk and McCoy than that moment in Balance of Terror? Don't destroy the one named Kirk. And then Kirk exits and you just see McCoy. He's on the verge of tears. Yeah. Like, like after the exchange, like Kirk walks out and McCoy needs a moment that all these little subtleties that you and I have poured over at, at nauseum on this podcast. And that's because the show just really freaking holds up and boy, <laughs> does it deserve everything though. All the, all the attention and all the detail and all the love and passion that we have shown that all the enterprises have shown by following us and, and committing, because, you know, this is not like a 30 or 40 minute podcast. You know, some of our podcasts have run almost three hours and, and, you know, you've been there with us for every single minute and we are very, very, very grateful. So um, absolutely. Goes, yeah. Um, I, I want to say one more thing about this. Um, <clears throat> It's, it, you know, a theme that has come up a lot and particularly come a lot as we've gone through our favorite episodes <coughs> is family. And I think what's really interesting is I think that, you know, we've talked about that the person who really solidified the fact that this is a family is Gene Kuhn. That's when, when he came in, that really coalesced. But in fact, the pieces were all there because you have the you have the enemy within scenes. You have the naked time scenes that we talked about. You have this incredible scene that you just described so well with McCoy. <clears throat> Those are all showing the seeds that the, the, you could see the actors and the writers writing to this idea that these people are brothers, that they're best friends, that they're really, really important to each other. And then Gene Kuhn like solidifies that, I think. But again, it's, it's I'm going to say it again, but it's giving these actors the chance to play these moments. Like, I'm sure when D. Kelly got that script, he went, oh, I can do something with this. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And, uh, you know, before I do my number one, uh, I mean, because you all know what it is anyway. Uh, you know, Steve, you, you mentioned, you know, the guests that we've had, obviously, Ralph, 
of course, uh, to be able to close out basically our deep dive of the original series by getting a special interview with Shatner himself, the man himself, William Shatner, who normally does not do podcasts, did, did ours. And that was a, a an absolute honor to sort of like bring the original series to almost close with our with our deep dive with our conversation uh, with the man himself, William Shatner. He was very generous with his time and uh, extremely uh, philosophical during that interview. But also, I mean, you know, like you said, uh, Walter Koenig, uh, David Gerald joined us twice. Uh, obviously, Johnny Roca joined us four times, and so did Dave Rossi. Laurie Ulster joined us twice. And then you also have Rob Burnett, Darren Dockerman, Mark Altman, uh, you know, Jim Brooks, uh, Becky Deanna, uh, Judy Burns joined us for, uh, uh, you know, for Tholium Web. So for all of the guests who joined us, uh, if they're listening or even if they're not listening, we are grateful for your time and your insight and for making Enterprise Incidents uh, truly a, a better podcast show. And that brings us to my number one and yes, of course, it is metamorphosis. And, you know, people, here's the thing that I discovered, because when we started doing this, Steve, I started engaging more with fans on the various Facebook groups, uh, the Star Trek Facebook groups. And whenever somebody posted a photo or made a mention of metamorphosis, like, oh, metamorphosis is on H&I tonight, and they post a photo or you know, somebody just would say, oh, you know, here's uh, Glenn Corbett as Zephyr Cochran. The comments that would follow would be people saying, wow, Metamorphosis, so good. It's my favorite episode. It's my favorite episode. And I went, oh, I guess I'm not alone. And the reason the Metamorphosis really stands out above all the others is because it's another episode that I, like Conscience of the King, I had to grow into. When I saw it when I was a kid, I liked it. I thought it was fine. Uh, I, I liked it just fine, but it, it took getting older to appreciate the episode more, the story, the performances, you know, all the scenes where Shatner is trying to raise him with the companion, you know, William Shatner just really, really was at the top of his game. Uh, the performance of Eleanor Donahue, I think that she is all very overlooked as a guest star because she too has to go through a massive arc in that episode showing incredible range from, from being very sort of business-like as a uh, commissioner Hedford to breaking down, realizing she blew it with her life to just truly beautiful and angelic when she merges with the companion. Uh, but also Jerry Finnerman's cinematography in that episode. I don't think there is a better episode of the original series when it comes to the lighting and the cinematography, all of the scenes on the planet with that purple sky and the cloud and the way that they had to like not move. So the cloud would sort of stay where it was. Uh, this, the, the score, the music by George Dunning is absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. And again, you got great writing from the man himself, Gene Kuhn. And this is where I wanted to talk about devil in the dark, because if you take devil in the dark and turn it into a love story, the result is metamorphosis. Because it's the same thing at play. They don't know what this thing is, like in the Horda. They don't know what it is, but it's threatening them, so they got to kill it. And then they realize it's a mother protecting its young. And then it changes the whole scope of the story. Well, when they realize that the companion is a female, it changes the whole scope of the story. It's very much like Devil in the Dark in that way. But 
It is an episode whenever I watch it. And I don't watch it all the time, like Doomsday Machine and Mirror Mirror and City and Balance of Terror and so on, because I don't want to get sick of it. But when I do watch it, it, it affects me emotionally, even after all these years, all these decades uh, since since I discovered uh, Star Trek as a syndication generation member. But yep, number one stays Metamorphosis. You, you know what just occurred to me, and, and it's and it, Conscious of the King and Metamorphosis are not on my top 10 list. I grew so much more appreciation for both of them through our conversations. Here's the thing just occurred to me. Because you know how there's sort of a thing of there's the easy stuff, whether it is movies or books or plays or music or food or wine, where a little kid will love it. You don't need any sophistication. You don't need any previous knowledge to appreciate the thing. You know, and then there are other things where you really have to understand this about classical music or understand this about movements in art, the art world to look at that piece of modern art or to look at that, you know, 17th century play or whatever and go, oh, I get this. That's what Metamorphosis and Conscience of the King are, is yeah. that Conscience of the King is not a favorite episode of mine. Mm -hmm. But in thinking about it and analyzing it, I go, oh, my God, there's so much here. There's so much, and I had to know a lot about Star Trek and about the direction. We found so much about Jim Kirk's character and about his origin through Conscience of the King and all of those ideas. And as you described, all of the references to Hamlet, to Macbeth, to all of that stuff, it's like, oh, as a kid, there was no way I could appreciate this. As a grown-up, analyzing it deeply, I could. And I think Metamorphosis, is this, it's not a showy episode. It's right. not thrilling and exciting like Mirror, Mirror, Doomsday Machine. It doesn't have broad action or you know, very, very you know, deep, intense emotional experiences like City on the Edge of Forever. But it is so fundamentally Star Trek. And the characters really shine. And of course, it's Ralph's beautiful direction. And as you said, Jerry Finnerman's cinematography is that, okay, you spent some time, you love <coughs> Star Trek. Now go back and watch this again and see what you think and your thoughts will change. And then I would also suggest maybe listen to our Enterprise Incidents episode and then watch it again and see if your perceptions have changed. That's one of the signs of a great bit of television. It's not the first time you watch it. It's the fifth time. And what do you get? You know? Absolutely. And, and also uh, on top of everything else, I think one of the things and we pointed this out, especially you, Steve, is that one of the things that makes Kirk such a great leader is when it, he, he admits when he's wrong, yeah. you know, like look at Aaron, the mercy, uh, look at yeah. double in the dark and look at metamorphosis. When McCoy points out to him, he said, you are, you're, you're a soldier. So often you forget that you're also a diplomat. Try waving a carrot instead of a stick. And you see the light go off in Kirk's head and he smiles and goes, okay, get the universal translator. You know, let's, you know, let's try to figure this out. Anyway, um, so much about that episode. And uh, uh, Sergio Rojo, uh, one of our loyal and favorite enterprisers said, Metamorphosis has the perfect crew, the perfect director and the perfect screenwriters. Yes, uh, there is a big reason why Metamorphosis is not only my favorite, but also Ralph Sineski's favorite episode. And uh, Ralph, again, we thank you for everything, uh, not just with Star Trek, but throughout your incredible career. And like Steve, just like what were some of the episodes that you had on your honorable mention that just didn't make make the final cut? <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, there could have been 20 or 30 of them. Uh, <laughs> neither of us put our namesake, the Enterprise Incident, on our top 10 list. It's a great episode, one you and I both love. 
Uh, Day of the Dove didn't make my cut, although it certainly could have. Let That Be Your Last Battlefield didn't make my cut, although it certainly could have. Journey to Babel. Plus, there's just so many. You know, what's really interesting, I think, is, yes, I would say easily there are 20 great episodes of Star Trek that all could have been on my top 10 list. I think the middle level of Star Trek is almost more impressive, that there are probably 40 episodes that are really good that I wouldn't put on my top 10 list, but are really, really, yeah, that one's good. That one's good. That, you know, someone I saw in the chat recently brought up Obsession, another Ralph Sedensky episode, which is one that would never go on my top 10 list. But man, that's a solid episode. Of yeah, how, yeah. How about you? What are some of your honorable mentions? Well, well, I mean, like, wasn't there a joke on Futurama where there was a reference to Star Trek and it said 79 episodes, 30 good ones or something like that? I, I might be paraphrasing. I'm sure someone uh, listening can uh, comment on the chat and say, yep, yep, that was uh, Futurama. But when it comes to my honorable mentions, I could have a top 20 that would be yeah. just as strong as my top 10. But just uh, throwing out some episodes here, like I mentioned, the Enemy Within, Naked Time, Arena, uh, The Squire of Gothos is an episode that I really, really love because of William Campbell. Uh, Tomorrow is Yesterday, This Side of Paradise, Spacey, Devil in the Dark, Who Mourns, Radonais, uh, Journey to Babel, The Deadly Years, Trouble with Tribbles, Peace of the Action, By Any Other Name, The Ultimate Computer, Is There in Truth No Beauty, The Tholian Web, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. Yep, I got them all written down right here. I'm just reading off the list, you know. (laughs) What are you going to (laughs) do? I mean, they're all, well, and we've (coughs) seen going through the comments as we've had this conversation, so many people that put some of the episodes you just mentioned in their top five, in their number one. And that's because this is a really good episode, really good television series, Star Trek. I think it's got legs and it'll go places. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm curious, Scott. First of all, this has been a fantastic conversation. Do you have time to maybe take a few questions if people have uh, any questions they'd like to ask us? Sure, if you've got questions, throw them out. And I just want to say, while we are waiting for some of those questions to come in, I just want to just give a shout out to everyone to once again, uh, thank you so much for for following us. Uh, And big thanks to everyone at Trek Movie for naming Enterprise Incidents the best Star Trek podcast of 2022. That was a very, very, very nice surprise and a true honor because there are literally hundreds and hundreds of Star Trek podcasts to to be singled out uh, as as the best uh, just makes us very, very happy. And we, you know, we ended 2022 with the original series. We were done. We did our wrap and that was it. But we just wanted to do one final episode on the original series because on the next episode of Enterprise Incidents, we're going to begin our deep dive of the animated series. And we're going to start off with a preview of the animated series. But Steve, what kind of questions? What are people asking us? Well, I don't see. Oh, wait, I see a couple one coming up here. Hold on. Uh Okay, so I've got some questions here. First of all, I just wanted to put up, uh, the, the, this is not a question, but a uh, great books guy who wrote, as I recall, the podcast for episode for Plato's stepchildren was surprisingly powerful when Dan discussed what episode meant for him, despite being a less than stellar episode of TOS. I couldn't agree more. And it's something that we discovered doing the cinephiles that also has definitely happened here is I think some of the lesser episodes have been some of our best conversations. I agree. I, I'm I'm thinking of Miri as an episode that was never one that I loved. But you know, you're you're when you brought up the cycle, the like 80 year cycle or whatever it was, uh, uh, that really blew my mind. Um, Return of the Archons, uh, you know, the Savage Curtain. Um, you know, and and yes, definitely Plato's stepchildren because I mean, not a great episode, but 
yeah. what it meant to Dan Matson and, and for him to, to really go deep and share his story and so personal story. Uh, and you know, he's just a great, great, great guy and a really good friend. So, uh, uh, yeah, that, that's a great example of a, of a podcast of an episode that, that not a great episode, but definitely a great conversation. All right. I got some, some questions loaded, loaded up. Let me give me one sec here. Uh, first question we've got, uh, uh, which is from Mike Lansky, who wants to know where is Errand of Mercy on your list? What do you think, Scott? Okay, Errand of Mercy is definitely in my in my ten to twenty. Uh, I don't have the number because I didn't rank him that far. Errand of Mercy is an excellent episode. Gotta love the first appearance of the Klingons. Gotta love John Colicos's core. Uh, and again, uh, this is the episode where Kirk basically said, "Yep, uh, I'm wrong." You know, <laughs> well, no one wants war. So uh, great episode, Errand of Mercy. What about you, Steve? Uh, for me, it's exactly what you said. It's probably in my next 10, somewhere in there, or next 15. It's a really good episode. And it was really what solidified that thought for me of, oh, Star Trek is all about jumping into the contradictions. Because here, you know, in um, Taste of Armageddon, Kirk jumps in, solves the problem, says, I know what's right. Errand of Mercy, Kirk jumps in to solve the problem. He's not right. You know, like that is the fact that a show is willing to reverse their pattern in order to come up with a different idea. That's pretty impressive. Um, all right. Next question here. Uh, okay. Scott from Roger Dennis. What is your favorite Kirk monologue? Oh, well, that has to go to risk is our business. I mean, I remember you you pointed out when we talked about uh, this episode in uh, Return to Tomorrow. Uh, you can't mess with the su success. And that Kirk speech, uh, you know, may be a bit over the top in the eyes of some people, uh, but I think Shatner just crushed it. And by the way, it's a, that Roger, that is an amazing question. What's your favorite Kirk monologue? Because there are many. There's the uh, uh, we're not going to kill today speech from A Taste of Armageddon. There's the In Every Revolution, One Man Has a Vision from Mirror, Mirror. Uh, you know, there's the whole exchange with the companion and metamorphosis. But, you know, like it's a quintessential iconic Star Trek moment. You know, when Kirk says, that's what the starship is all about. That's why we're aboard her. Uh, that is the Captain Kirk that I would follow into an active volcano, ladies and gentlemen. I... I think Risk is Our Business is the most quintessential Kirk monologue. By the way, there are also all of the I'm going to talk a computer into destroying itself monologues. And there's also, of all else, a God needs compassion, which is his first great speech. Um, I got to go with Mirror Mirror. I got There's something about that because it's not just the monologue and Shatner's performance, which is fantastic, but it's also the situation is so dramatic. Because we're, we're literally, the clock is counting down and he's got to convince this guy. That that one is absolutely fantastic. Um, let's see. Here's here's an interesting thought. This is not a question. But Eric Wolf says, can you invite Ralph to a live show like this? Uh, I guess it I, is a question, what? actually. That's a really great question. And uh, I, I would love to have Ralph back on at some point. Ralph, if you're listening, uh, we would love to have you back on Enterprise Incidents at some point, especially if we could just like get into a more general conversation uh, about not only what Star Trek meant for you and especially after uh, after doing your deep dives with us, but also just to talk more about your career, all the other shows you've done, the highlights for you. Um, but what I will say is I think one of the, you know, uh, uh, one thing I forgot to mention when we talked about Ralph is 
uh, I, I, it, it felt to me that Ralph really enjoyed doing Enterprise Incidents, that reassessing his, his time doing Star Trek and maybe some of the less pleasant ones at the time turned out to be, you know, fond memories after all. And, and to be able to, to bring that to Ralph uh, makes me feel really good. I know it does for you too, Steve. Absolutely. I, I don't know if doing a live episode with Ralph would work or not, but the idea of being able to share with all of you the joy of just sitting in his presence is would be pretty cool because uh, yeah yeah he, he's just as cool as you think he is he yeah, he really yeah. is yeah um uh so our next question is from Justin Welsh who asks are you going to do your worst episodes my feeling is no, no. <laughs> what do you think Justin, Scott no we're not going to do our worst episodes but Steve, when push comes to shove, what do you think is the worst episode? Just for the sake of this conversation. <sighs> so, oh, so before when we started, it was very obvious in my mind that it was when the children shall lead, which yeah. is heinous. It is a terrible episode. I don't know. It's so hard because as we went along, I really some of the conversations like Plato's stepchildren, I genuinely did enjoy. But going moment through moment, moment by moment through a bad episode of Star Trek was not pleasant. It was really right. unpleasant. Right. And uh, so it got more painful as we went. So by the time we got to Whom Gods Destroy, I was just furious. I just yeah. was like so, it was so torturous. Because I had to write down every line in the episode because that's what I do to prepare for the show. And writing down, you know, it's like, if I'm writing down every line of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, that's kind of a joy because every line is so great. If I'm writing down every line of Whom Gods Destroy, it's like, oh my God. So I don't know. What do you think? Well, uh, you know, I think before, before we did the podcast, Steve, I think it would have been easier for me to say, oh, the worst one is the alternative factor. The worst one is and the children shall lead. But after doing the deep dive, uh, I because, I, you know, there were quite a few episodes from later in the third season that I have not watched in many, many years, maybe even a couple decades. So when we did our deep dive of the Mark of Gideon, I yeah. realized, you know what? That is a big swing and a such a like the mighty Casey struck out with that episode. It is an awful episode. It was it was it was demoralizing to have to do a deep dive on that one. So for me, my new favorite worst episode of Star Trek is the Mark of Gideon. Yeah, it's it's really it's really bad. Uh, this is not a question, but hey. This Philip Bryan says this is the best Trek podcast. It's not even close. Well, we thank you, this Philip Bryan. Uh, we really appreciate your support of Enterprise Instance. I just want to read one one question from Great Books Guy. Okay, and his question is this: What is your favorite Beatles album? And what is your favorite Ruddles song? So, just to answer, because obviously. As you can tell, if there's one thing I love as much as Star Trek, it is the Beatles. And Steve knows that for sure. Uh, I know, Steve, you love the Beatles, too. My favorite Beatles album is A Hard Day's Night because I like the early stuff and I love the vibrancy of A Hard Day's Night. My favorite Ruddles song is number one. So there you go. <laughs> I don't have a Ruddles song answer. <coughs> I go back and forth about my favorite <laughs> <coughs> Beatles album. I am a later Beatles guy. I mean, I love all of them, of course. Um, <clears throat> Revolver, which is mid Beatles, is probably my favorite mid Beatles album. I it's 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 weird, and it's actually gotten better since the documentary come out came out. But the one that makes me happiest is Let It Be. 
I've always, I've always, when I'm just in a mood or, or like if I have a really rough day and I work really, really hard and I just want to let everything go, I put on, let it be. I, I, and now having watched the making of that. Oh yeah. I'm so much more in love with that album. Um, here we have a question, uh, from, uh, from Bob Hogston, who says the TOS music is also very me- unique, almost another character. I've never seen a TV series with such dominant music. What do you think, Scott, of the TOS music? That, Bob, is an excellent observation and one that I certainly agree with 100%. Steve, Steve and I have talked about the music of Star Trek many times. Uh, and even in our deep dive of a mock time, we broke down the music while we were breaking down the episode itself. And I completely agree. The music for the original series is so iconic, quintessential. It's such a standout. It absolutely is a character unto itself with the show, just like the cinematography was a character unto itself. And I have to say that when you compare the music from the later shows to the music of the original series, it is no comparison. It is no contest. It is absolutely the music of the original series still holds up and it is still great. What is your answer to that, Steve? Uh, I, I basically, I just agree with everything you said. The music is incredible. <laughs> and, and it's so funny. I mean, I can't think of another show that has so many recognizable themes. And part of that is that like the Amok Time music, they got played <coughs> in multiple episodes, but they're so powerful. And it's so, and what's really interesting too, is how music, I think the music that is from this side of paradise ends up getting used in metamorphosis. Is that right? Or no, it's, uh, oh no, it's the music in Shore Leave is, oh, that oh. is Roost theme that gets used later on. And it's like how the a, a theme that can be introduced for one thing evolves and becomes powerful with another thing. I, 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 the music obviously is great. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, let's see. I've got, I had another question I wanted. Um, oh, here, here's one. Uh, this is from Spock, of course. Which episode do you think had the most interesting background regarding the creating the story, drafts, etc.? For me, there's no question it's City on the Edge of Forever. Yeah. That's got the most interesting background. Uh, that's the, for sure. That's the that's the default answer for sure is the making of the City on the Edge of Forever uh, because they worked on it for so long. Uh, and like Subcommander Tao pointed out, uh, it was it had a hand on by basically everybody in a way that it improved the episode where sometimes there's too many cooks in the kitchen. It can go the other way. But I think in terms of, of it going the other way, I think it's just as... Um, interesting to read how Dorothy Fontana's third season story, Joanna, about McCoy's daughter, how that episode turned into The Way to Eden. Like, how does that happen? Um, by the way, I, Way to Eden, I have a much, much better appreciation for because our guest on that episode, Neil Shirley, who I did not mention before when I was thanking all of our guests, he was a fantastic addition to that episode on, on uh, The Way to Eden. Thank you, Neil, for joining us and making that a great conversation. But yeah, I, I got to, and also I just want to point out that that in terms of all of the research that we've done on Enterprise Incidents to give you every possible backstory possible. Uh, you know, of course, we defaulted to uh, the three-volume series by Mark Cushman, These Are the Voyages. But there's also uh, Inside Star Trek by Herb Sol and Bob Justman. There's the Star Trek Compendium by Alan Asherman. There's the 50-Year Mission by Mark Altman and Edward Gross. And of course, there is The Making of Star Trek, uh, which was 
written back in 68 while the show was still in production by Stephen E. Whitfield and Gene Roddenberry. Um, so many, uh, so many, like I would, and of course uh, I would say uh, Memory Alpha, the uh, website Memory Alpha was an invaluable resource. Um, but, but for sure, for everyone listening, if you have not yet gotten uh, the three volume series, These Are the Voyages, or the two volume series, The 50 Year Mission, those are must reads. Uh, I've got another question here. Scott, Michael Lilenthal would like to know, <coughs> is the animated series canon? Uh, oh, absolutely it's canon. The animated series is so canon. First of all, we would not be advancing onto the animated series if it was not canon. But there are so many elements to the animated series that make it canon. For one thing, we find out what Kirk's middle name is is so we found that out in the animated series and that and then the final episode of the animated series the counterclock incident we met the first captain of the enterprise or at least that enterprise which was robert april so not only is the animated series canon but we're going to continue our our arc our through line our serialized vision of star trek extending the animated series the same courtesy that we gave to the original series so my feeling is <coughs> yes of course it is canon uh i also think that this whole idea of things being canon and not canon is like a hard and fast rule it's not you know there you you create a show linearly you don't know where the show is going to go and so the things that stick are canon james r kirk is not canon you know because that's not the way that we went and so it's it i think it's a little i am certain that we'll find things in the animated series where we go uh come on that's not really oh of course yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <clears throat> i think scott we have time for maybe two more questions sure let's do it okay uh let's see here i've got a whole bunch of great questions and i'm gonna try to find a couple of good ones you know this one i'm interested in hearing your opinion on Rad would like to know, do you think Scotty would have made a good starship captain? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we saw him be a good starship captain. Look at the way he handled the situation in Friday's Child when they got the second distress call. And Scotty, relying on intuition, said, ignore it. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Uh, the way he handled... Uh, um, you know, a taste of Armageddon. Yeah, it's a great one. Not, uh, not lowering the shields, despite being ordered by Ambassador Fox to lower the shields, hands down. Uh, the fact that Sulu got to command a starship like Excelsior, and that Scotty never got to command a starship, that was, I'm going to say, that was by choice, because Scotty's happy place was in engineering. So I that's I that's what I was going to say. It's like, do I think that Scotty would have made a good starship captain? Absolutely, really solid, and a heck of a lot better than some of the ones who went crazy and had a lot of problems. Sure, <laughs> I think he would have held up a lot better than some of those guys. But yes, he would make a good starship captain. He is a great engineer. Not everybody wants the top job. They're not supposed to have it. All right, let me look for one more question here. Uh, and like I said, there's a whole, we, we literally, if we, we could spend two or three hours because you guys have so <laughs> many great questions. Um, <clears throat> all right. <clears throat> Robert Collins asks, question, which guests really helped bring TOS to life to you in an unexpected way? 
Um, we've already Collins. what? That's a great question. <laughs> yeah, we've already talked about Ralph Zanensky. Obviously, I'd say that's the number one one. Uh, I assume you mean guest on our show. Um, having Adam Nimoy on was so great. It, it was absolutely fantastic. He he just his, his way of thinking. He thinks like a director. And the, so, on the one hand, even if he wasn't Leonard Nimoy's son, he was a great guest. For and sure. then the insights, the personal insights to what life was like with his dad, amazing. I uh, I thought that Robert was referring to guest stars who appeared on the actual original uh, series. <laughs> if that's uh, the case, um, uh, I I mean, look, uh, that's a really good question, uh, and I think that the easiest way to answer that is to just reference the great guest stars who who just made the episodes go above and beyond. Like, of course, William Wyndham, you know, Joan Collins for City. Uh, 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 Ricardo Montalban for Space Seed, but also the underrated, overlooked guests. Like I said, like Eleanor Donahue, I, I I really feel like she does not get enough credit for making Metamorphosis as great as that is. Same with Barbara Anderson for uh, for for the Conscience of the King, and and the guest who, like you pointed out, Steve, she was terrific. In Day of the Dove, Susan Howard, because, mm. you know, she never betrayed Kang. She never betrayed him. Like, just towards the end, she says, like, you know, I'm a Klingon. Would I lie for them? You know, like, she's she she's really doing what she feels is right because, like, she was convinced that, wow, these guys are actually telling the truth. Uh, I, and, of course, you know, Kang, you know, Michael and Sarah really just crushed it for me. But but also, uh, you know, um, uh, Marriott Hartley in in uh, our yesterday's, uh, you know, that final shot when she just turns around with the wind blowing her hair and the tear coming down her cheek. Uh, like you pointed out, Steve, it's one of the heart most heartbreaking moments of the series. Well, I think those are great answers, but now I, I have no idea which question Robert Collins would was asking, but now I would like to ask you the version that I answered, which is what guests did we have on our show that brought Star Trek to life to you in an unexpected way? The ones you mentioned, I mean, nobody more than Ralph. Ralph, uh, um, you know, if you would have told this six-year-old kid back in 74 that he would one day do a scene-by-scene, scene, moment-by-moment analysis of each one of his episodes, I think I would have, you know, died and gone to heaven because that would have been, you know, the fact that we got to do that, I'm grateful for it. But I think David Gerald's conversation during The Trouble with Tribbles was fantastic. Oh, yeah, that was great. Fantastic episode. Uh, um, I really uh, uh, loved Adam's conversation about all our yesterdays. Um, you know, his insight because, like, you know, the show was ending, you know, how – uh, what was going on with his family at that time and his relationship with his dad. But he's also a director himself and had great insight onto what worked and what didn't with that episode. And, uh, uh, and, and just, you know, after, you know, being with us now for 91 years, having that philosophical conversation with Shatner, uh, even though it was basically to promote his new book, Boldly Go, which is a fantastic book. And I strongly urge you read it. Um, it's on amazon.com. If you want to buy it, it's called boldly go. I think to hear such, such profound philosophical, uh, you know, anecdotes from Shatner after doing this podcast was like, you know, icing on the cake. Yeah. Um, and I actually, I think that's all the time we have for questions, but 
I, for one, Scott, I really enjoyed doing this live show. I really enjoyed, you guys had so many great questions. Like I, I was trying to star them all as they were going by, but they're going by so fast. Maybe we should do another one of these just to do a Q and A, just to answer some fans' questions. That's a great idea. That is a great idea. And I also think that maybe when we are done with our deep dive of the animated series, maybe we do a top five of that, just like we did a top 10 of the original series. But absolutely positively, thank you for joining us for this episode. And for everyone who joined us live, thank you so much. We will do another live episode just for you, just to answer your questions, because we do, I don't know if you notice, Enterprisers, but we love talking about Star Trek. It's very, very true. Uh, do we have any other announcements we need to make before we uh, wrap this up? Well, we just want to say once again that uh, uh, any help you can give us, uh, any support, any generosity by supporting us on uh, by going on Anchor and, and uh, uh, making a donation to support us on a weekly basis. Now that we are moving forward with Enterprise Incidents with the animated series, um, you know, any help you can give us would be great. Make sure you you share us on your your social media platforms. Spread the word about Enterprise Incidents. The entire original series is there. We are we are hiding in plain sight for Star Trek fans to discover Enterprise Incidents. And whether it's right now or six months from now or six years from now, we hope that people will continue to discover enterprise incidents so please do spread the word and make sure you go to apple podcasts make sure you write a review for enterprise incidents we are grateful for all of the reviews and reactions we have gotten on our uh on you know apple podcasts make sure you subscribe or or you know, uh, follow us on our Facebook page, which is Enterprise Incidents. And while you are there, make sure you list your top 10 episodes of the original series, your favorites in order. Um, uh, sorry, things cut out on me. And uh, if you want to reach me, you can do it at SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris one on Instagram. You could follow the cinephiles. And since Scott and I, we just did our first live show. The cinephiles does a live show every month. And tomorrow at 3 p.m. Pacific time, that's Sunday, January 8th, we are going to do a live show. It's our annual talk about the year 2022, make predictions through 2023, and mostly just have a good time with some of our favorite people, including, I hope, my good friend Scott Mance, who's going to join us. So that's tomorrow on The Cinephiles. How would people find you, Scott? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. And I just want to say, Steve Morris, I'm just so glad that you are feeling better and that you are feeling well enough to make this live episode happen. I know you worked really, really hard to do this. And especially, again, uh, not only a big thank you for that 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 beautiful intro that you did just for the purpose of this live episode, but for editing all of the hard work. And I know how much hard work it is and how much time it takes to edit each and every episode so that every episode of Enterprise Incidents sounds like a top tier professional podcast. And I am grateful to you for that. I'm grateful to you for your friendship. I'm grateful to you for for you know, coming after me to do this podcast in the first place. And especially for, you know, uh, as you are still on the mend for making this episode happen, because when I did our deep dive of the ultimate computer, I had COVID and right. uh, Dave Rossi joined us for that episode. 
So I was perfectly happy to let him take over on that one because I was still feeling <coughs> under the weather. So please continue to get better. And uh, again, everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching live. Coming up next on Enterprise Incidents, we begin our deep dive of the animated series. The next episode is our animated series preview. And the episode after that, we will really get into it with the first episode of the animated series, Beyond the Farthest Star. So coming next on Enterprise Incidents, our, our preview of the animated series. So join us then. And until then, of course, keep, keep going. Going boldly. boldly. <laughs> <laughs>